Lucy offered me a book on General Lafayette for my birthday, and I learned quite a lot about that famous figure in the American Revolution. I learned that he was probably the richest man in France at the time. He kowtowed with the king, Louis XVI, and Marie Antoinette. You all know those names. Uh, unfortunately, I got bogged down in the book. Don't tell Lucy. Don't tell the author. And I don't actually know how he survived through the French Revolution, but I know that he did. The French Revolution, I'm sure you're familiar with that time, a group of commoners rose up to eliminate all of the rich, the powerful, all of those people that had influence. And then short time after that, another group of common people rose up and killed the first group, eliminated the first group of common people. That was a horrible time in France. And actually, we're all familiar with what is the guillotine, right? The guillotine, how do you say that? The guillotine, all right? We're all familiar with that because of the bloodshed of that time period, an awful time period. And it demonstrates the dangers this suffering that is created when one group declares another group to be those people. Those people. We need to get rid of them. You stigmatize that group as they are the source of all of my problems, all of our problems, all of society's problems. We need to eliminate them. So the first commoners group eliminated all of the rich and powerful as much as they could. The second group eliminated the other commoners because they had declared them to be those people. More recent history, you think about the Cultural Revolution in China, think about Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, when they say this group of people is the problem and we need to eliminate that group. Unfortunately, I, and I think probably we, at times in our hearts, have a group of those people. Now, we're not going around killing those people, but we have a group that in our heart, it's like they are the source of all the problems that I'm experiencing right now. The familiar book of Old, in the Old Testament of Jonah demonstrates the danger for each of us and the difficulty to reach out in love to share the message of God with those people. And it's hard to share a message of love and grace when in our hearts we don't like them at all. But God wants us to share the good news of his grace and forgiveness with all people, even those that we could easily qualify as those people. I'd like to address an important question as we think about the Old Testament. What do we do with the fact that God said that his people, the Jews, had to eliminate all of those people that were in the land. Seems kind of in contradiction with what I'm going to say this morning, so I want to talk about that just a little bit. We need to remember that God was using that as punishment on those nations that were already in the land because of their sin, particularly idolatry. So it was God's tool of judgment on them. First thing we need to remember. The second thing when we think about that God was in the process of building a people that would ultimately provide the solution. And it, that people group needed to be pure, needed to be separate, so that uh, genetically and spiritually and religiously, all of that, God could put in place this plan of salvation, of redemption for the whole world. God's intention from the very beginning was for his people Israel to be a lighthouse to the world, to be a spiritual magnet to the nations. 
So even though in the Old Testament we see a lot of eliminate those people, don't hang around with those people, don't intermarry with those people, it was part of what God had to put in place, judgment, but also his plan for redemption for the world. Just this week I was reading, our, our church is reading the Bible plan uh, together uh, over a couple years. And I was just reading this last week, Isaiah chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So it's tough reading in the Old Testament at times. But the purpose was to have a people that would be able to put in place God's plan of redemption. Jesus, the Messiah, required a physical descendants, a, a people, a group, and so forth. Anyone in the Old Testament that wanted to worship God was able, invited, to align themselves with God's people there and worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So even in the Old Testament, when there's a lot of that, those people are bad people, God's heart was for Israel to reach out and be a light to them. I talked about my Bible studies with Mr. F. He used to think that the God of the Old Testament was just a harsh, judgmental God. That's what he thought. And then as he's been reading um, with the scriptures, he's been coming to church as well. He's, he's coming to understand the God of the Old Testament is not just ancient history for Israel. And the New Testament is pertinent information for us. He's understanding God's overarching plan. So when he says uh, in the book of Revelation, he sees God's plan playing out and Jesus on the throne recognized as the Savior, as the Lamb, as the God of the universe who gave him. Robert is like, wow, this is so exciting. And he can see how that links back to the Old Testament. The thread of redemption runs through the whole Bible. And it's exciting, frankly, to see Robert discovering this, Mr. F. A missions moment like this, missions message, is always a good opportunity for us to be reminded of these truths that Mr. F is coming to understand. God wants all people to come to a personal relationship with him. God has invited humanity since the beginning. He created us to enter into that relationship that already existed in the Trinity. They enjoyed that for all eternity, and God opened the door to us to join him, to join in that love and that fellowship and the grace. That is God's heart, and we see that from the beginning all the way to the end. But, of course, people have to hear that good news in order to believe it. And so I know in this church with its rich history of missions there, we can probably recite all of those great mission commands that Jesus left us. Jesus said, you need to go and tell others this good news. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. We've heard that. We know that. That's God's heart to reach out. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. We're told to pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers. And I know in this room, we're aware of that. And we're excited 
and renewed in the sense when we hear these things, yes, Lord, help me to be that person. But unfortunately, even as we let those commands rekindle that fire to share Christ with those around us, each of us has a harder time sharing the good news with certain people. Even as you as a church intentionally scatter love and service as a gospel carrier, I saw that. If we honestly examine our hearts, sometimes we have a hard time with certain people. They might be those people because of past history, they might be because of present tensions, or maybe because of future risk, danger. But every group of people, every person has potentially someone that is those people. I thought of some national reasons. Every nation, pretty much, has reason to dislike, to hate, to fear another nation. Think of the Nazi atrocities, or under Stalin, for example. Right now, we've got the war between Russia and the Ukraine. We had a woman in church. She just celebrated 90 years old, a 90-year birthday. Uh, her uncle was killed by the Nazis. And for a while, when she, she got saved, for a while, she could not take communion because she hated those people because of what they did to her uncle. Racial reasons. Just recently, we have a church up in New York that was very close to that shooting in Buffalo. Tensions between blacks and whites and Mexicans and Asians and, and Middle Easterns. Racial reasons can be there. Political reasons. Republicans, Democrats, communists, socialists, whatever. Cultural reasons. The way people live. Rappers, druggies, rednecks. Vax, anti-vax, mask, anti-mask, abortion, sexual orientation, rich or poor. We can all qualify people as that group, those people. Philosophical or religious reasons, atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, whatever. Personal reasons, that person hurt me, that person is unkind to me, that person hates me. And all of that can mix together so that each of us in our hearts has difficulty going towards someone because they are part of that people, those people. What about that coworker that grates on us? Constant chattering or his condescending attitude. Ooh. That guy with bad B.O. in my class. Ooh. The one who picks his nose and, and, oh, don't, oh. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. The list can easily go on. And I think probably for most of us, we're thinking about, yes, there is a group in my heart where I have more difficulty. In 1685, the Protestant population of France was considered to be those people by the powers in place. Louis XIV had the Edict of, uh, so the name here, of Fontainebleau. I was called the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. And the Protestants were declared persona non grata, and estimates ranged between 200,000 and 900,000 had to flee the country at that time. Decimated, just decimated. There was 40% Protestant at the time. Today there's about 2%. They were declared to be those people to be eliminated. And I know that right here in the, in the States, tensions are high, positions are very vocal, very volatile, sometimes very violent. A lot of things were at stake. What if they get their way in our society? What is our reaction as we think about those people? And often our first emotional, visceral response is at odds 
with what God would have us to do. We were traveling through upstate New York here recently, and I don't know if you've ever been up there, it's a beautiful country, but there's no housing zoning laws kind of a thing. So you've got this really nice house next to a pretty ramshackle place. So easy to judge, depending on what's normal for me. Why are they so rich, so wasteful? Or why don't they get a job? Why don't they move their yard, right? It's so easy to emotionally, viscerally judge others based on uh, external things there. What about those bilingual signs here in America or in France? Why does that stir up an emotion in me? Why does that bumper sticker that's pro-someone or anti-someone, pro-something or anti-something, for one guy it's like, sure, you can cut in, I don't have any problem in spite of rush hour, you know, and the next guy, not, you know, over my dead body. Why? Why do we do that? It's because our heart is, needs to be in tune with God's heart. And that's what Jonah is struggling with. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to open to Jonah. This is a story I'm sure many of you could just recount all by yourselves. I'll just read a little bit of each story to remind us of sort of how things played out. But this is the story of a prophet of God who was told to take the message of God to those people. And as you recall, it was very difficult. Got a classic outline for Jonah. You all could probably do this yourself and tell this. Chapter 1 is the recalcitrant prophet who is running from God. Read just Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You all know the story. He went down the bottom of the boat, took a nice nap. Huh? And everybody else is um, desperately trying to save the ship, desperately trying to save from this terrible storm that God brought to get Jonah's attention. Chapter 2, you know the story. When the sailors threw Jonah overboard, he said that's the only way to stop the, stop the, um, the storm. The Lord sent a great fish to swallow Jonah. Verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Jump down to verse 6, verse 7. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah confessed, repented of his bad attitude about those people. And then God had the fish erp him up on the beach. Quite an exciting event, I'm sure, in Jonah's life. Chapter 3, the respectful prophet who is running with God. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. Look at verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When his warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he made this proclamation, everyone must repent. And God, in verse 10 when he saw that they did, what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented 
and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Wow, what a tremendous, powerful ministry. Shouldn't Jonah be jumping for joy that this gigantic city completely turned to God as a result of his preaching? I'd be pretty excited personally because we don't see a whole lot of that in France, right? It'd be nice to see some of that. But in chapter 4, we see that he is a resentful prophet running from God. And I'd like to read chapter 4 just to show us how hard God is willing to work to convince us that we need to reach out even to those people. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. I'm in chapter 4. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people, who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. What was Jonah's problem? He didn't want to announce God's message to those people because God's going to forgive them. What? Yeah. Now, a detail we might not know or have forgotten that Jonah had a successful ministry over in 2 Kings chapter 14. He had announced a great victory for Israel, and that had come to pass. And I'm sure Jonah was pretty happy to announce that message. We're going to win. And they did. But here he's going to say to God's people, the enemy of God's people, they're going to repent and they're going to get saved. And that makes me so angry. I want them to die. You know? He's so angry, he says, if that's the way it is, just kill me. If you're not going to kill them, kill me. I think that's kind of silly personally, but no. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why Jonah did not want to go. But I sort of gave some thought, if Jonah is like us. Some national reasons. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was an enemy of Israel. He had racial reasons. They weren't Jews. Political reasons. Assyria was a cruel, dominating force in the world. They were horrible people. Cultural reasons. They did not eat kosher. They didn't speak his language. Philosophical reasons, religious reasons, they worshipped a false god. It was a center of worship for a goddess, Ishtar. And for personal reasons, I thought, 
he probably wouldn't get much ministry miles out of this event on his, on his resume. He liked it when Israel won, but see the, see the enemy being forgiven by God, that doesn't sell real well. All right. Jonah was directly disobedient to God as a prophet of God. I feel a little bit like I could maybe be like that myself, if that can happen to Jonah, to refuse to do what God wanted me to do. He did not want those people to benefit from God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love. And so Jonah, I mean, God had to work hard to get Jonah to understand. Now, as we read this, we can imagine a little bit here. We got, uh, was it 10 days? We had the heat wave here in Philadelphia. First time we've had that since 2000, whatever it was, right? So he's out there in the 100 degree heat. Going to sit here. He's going to watch and see God destroy the city. That's his goal. He wants to see God destroy the city. And he's got this little shelter over his head. You know, he's out there. Imagine his little beach chair probably. Today he'd have a little sippy cup or whatever. All right, God, I'm ready, you know. Let's do it, you know. And instead, God forgives him. And here God had that plant grow up. Oh, that was nice. Oh, this is great. I got a shade, you know. The next day, no plant, hot wind. He's furious with God because God took away his plant. And God says, shouldn't I be worried about all these people? You're worried about a dopey plant. And I know in my life, it's easy for me to worry about the plants and to lose sight of the people that are around us. So when we think of those people, far too often like Jonah, we tend to say about those people, boo, hiss, bad people, right? And we often say, please, God, don't ask me to talk to them. Please don't send me there. Reading Luke chapter 9 recently as well, James and John, when the Samaritans refused to receive Jesus, they responded with a tender, loving heart. They said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? God, you want us to kill those people? See, it's, it's so easy to flare up in our emotions in the visceral and to be so far off base from what God has intended for us. Jonah's experience is in the Bible for our instruction. So what do we need to learn from his experience today? Is there someone in our family, our neighborhood, our nation, that creates the same reaction in our hearts as Jonah had about the people of Nineveh? If we have that reaction, we need to say, boo hiss on us. That's not what God wants for us. Can we love our enemies as Jesus demonstrated and as Jesus requires. Can we take the gospel to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, where those people are? Some of those people are in my neighborhood. Sometimes we need to go to that other place to find those people. Many years ago, a friend of ours lived in the Paris area, and she would come home and find prostitutes sitting on her car in front of her apartment. I don't know how you would react to that situation. I personally don't like anybody to sit on my car. So what is she going to do? She decided to reach out to this group of people, to those people. And so she started chatting with them, building a relationship a little bit, inviting them into her home for coffee, tea, those sorts of things. Over time, it developed 
into Bible studies with some of them. Some of them gave their hearts to the Lord because she did not refuse to go to those people. She reacted as Jesus would wanted her to do. Lucy shared the testimony of her friend who looked at her and said, with her background, she's never going to come to the Lord. She's one of those people that, you know, too hard kind of a thing. And yet she reached out and thankfully, so Lucy's with us today. I'd like to conclude with another text in our church reading program this week. Um, it's interesting to me how God works in just this reading plan and how things plop in place as I'm working on things and as he's working on my heart. Acts chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, you'd like to look at that. It's a familiar story of Peter going to see Cornelius. Remember, Peter is on the roof there. It's about lunchtime. He has that vision of the sheet that comes down. All right. So he goes to visit Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Peter said to Cornelius and those with him, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And we know this story. Peter preaches the gospel. They get saved. First time ever. Gentiles join the church. Exciting times. I'd like to paraphrase just a little bit what Peter said, though, for our message this morning. Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone those people. So I came without raising any objection. I'd like us to examine our hearts and ask God to give us his love and grace for those people in our lives. May we, reach out to, may we reach out to them without raising any objection. I'd like to pray together. Father, I just thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation, your grace, your forgiveness, your love that is to all. Thank you for the work that you have done in my heart and the hearts of many here. Lord, I pray that you would give us a real desire to share with those around us. Help us to listen to your word, to hear what you want to say to us this morning. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in what's ahead for each of us. Amen.